Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and a book by Hugh Wheeler, based on the 1973 play of the same name by Christopher Bond, premiered on Broadway at the Eurus Theater, now the Gershwin, on March 1st, 1979. Conceived after Sondheim attended a performance of Bond's spooky melodrama, which introduced a psychological background to Todd's crimes, where the character himself is the victim of a ruthless judge, the collaboration of director Hal Prince's mammoth Industrial Revolution staging with Sondheim's operatic Grand Gigognol resulted in one of the landmark productions on Broadway and in the career of Stephen Sondheim. Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, the new Stephen Sondheim Merrill Prince musical thriller starring Angela Lansbury. And Glenn Carey. What happened then? Well, that's the play, and he wouldn't want us to give it away. Not Sweeney. Not Sweeney Todd. The demon barber of Street. <laughs> With us today is director, choreographer, and actor Jim Cordy, currently the artistic director of the Paramount Theater, whose Broadway credits include Ragtime, Music Is, A Chorus Line, and Candide and who received the 2017 Jeff Award for his direction of Sweeney Todd, which itself received the award as best production. Actor James Earl Jones II, currently appearing in the Broadway national tour of Come From Away, whose credits include the national tour of the Gershwins, Porgy and Bess, as well as regional appearances in Company, the Scottsboro Boys, and Sondheim on Sondheim, for which he was nominated for the 2015 Jeff Award and Jeff Award-winning actor David Jeromo, whose appearances nationally include the Broadway companies of Warpaint and Candide, and regionally in Passion, Gypsy, Follies, and Forum, and whose numerous appearances in productions of Sweeney Todd include the title role at Porchlight Music Theater in 2014. Welcome, everyone, to the roundtable. Thanks. It's fantastic to be here. Hey, guys. So... Let's start at the very beginning for each of us. And I, and I vividly remember um, my introduction to Sweeney Todd, of course, was the video that so many of us, that's where, we, that's where many of us saw us. I know some of you saw it on Broadway. I saw the videotape um, and it changed my life. Rest now, my friends. Never you fear. You can move in here. You never have dreamed. Precious rubies. At last, my arm is complete again. To see that kind of production and that kind of acting and that genius of fusion of music and drama. And I will confess that it took me quite some time to get 
over George Hearn's impression on me and embrace Len Carrieux's rendition once I finally heard the album. Um, but, you know, I got over it. And Len's amazing, too. Yeah, you got so, over it, yeah. How about you guys? When, when did Sweeney Todd, when did you first experience this show? Um, sure. Um, I got to see it. I, uh, I was doing a chorus line on Broadway, and I was um, in a phase where I was getting in right at half hour, like, like a minute before half hour. And uh, one evening, I was a minute late. And uh, the stage manager said, Jim, uh, your understudy's going on. You're late for half hour. So I said, okay, I'm gonna go see Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and I run over, what was it, the Eurus? Yeah. Yeah, the Eurus. Uh, so you had to run quite a ways up. You had to go all well, the way up to 51st. Yeah, and or? I ran. And uh, I got a house seat. I was like fifth row center, yeah. sat down, and that factory whistle blew. Incredible. And that was it. <laughs> I was in for the ride of my life. Something we hit on. Uh, uh, you know, the traditional thing of having the music and the orchestra uh, 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 underscore the moments of melodrama. Well, I asked for, because it was a factory, I asked for a factory whistle. It's the most chilling sound. You'll, you'll hear it, and it, it, uh, it's quite alarming. The first time it goes off, it's right at the beginning of the show, and it, it has the effect of scaring the hell out of the audience. And uh, you hear a terrible scream from a dozen people in the house, and then we get on with the show. Well, every time, every time there is a, a murder, that factory whistle goes off, and every time there is some ominous presentment of same, the factory whistle goes off. And you saw the original comp, you're the original comp. Yeah. Oh yeah, this was early in the run. It was pretty early in the run. And it was like the talk of the town. And I'm like, how am I ever gonna see Sweeney Todd? I got a show. And then it kind of took care of itself, the universe. <laughs> see? Because you were a very bad actor that day. I was a you very were a bad late. boy back in the <laughs> late 70s. Listen, we were all bad boys back in the, we, we at least think we were bad boys back in the late 70s. Very bad boy. Uh, I saw the original production as well, Jim. I, I, I was in, uh, uh, towards the end of my college life. And uh, after, it, after it opened in uh, whatever it was, in March or April, whenever it opened that year, uh, we had, you know, it very shortly after that, the, the album came out and, you know, we basically memorized it. And I was doing a summer stock in July and we had time off. And several of us jumped in the car and we drove to New York because we weren't that far. We were up, we were in upstate New York doing the stock. And so the first time I saw the show, July 29th, 1979, <laughs> uh, I'll never forget it because as Michael said, and as you said, you know, it, it changed my life. It changed everything. It changed the way we think about musical theater. It changed what, what was possible. And certainly for, you know, for baritones, for guys who, who were either relegated to playing real character-y guys or Curly in Oklahoma, you know, the, it, it changed the nature of the way we, we did business. And as you say, I sat in the 10th row, so I was a little bit further back from you where you were. 10th row, right on the aisle in the Urus, and, 
you know, and when they buried that body and da 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 started and they go through that whole prologue and he came up out of the out of the floor with this, you know, I tend to tell, I, I lost wow. I just absolutely lost it. It kicked my ass. Yeah. It, it was, it was uh, still remains the, the greatest, most thrilling theatrical experience I've had watching a show. Think you could catch your breath watching. Yeah, it was. Yeah, James, wow. how about you? When did you? So, um, I was not a musical theater baby. Um, I I grew up um, really only singing, and then eventually started doing opera. So I didn't actually get exposed to the musical theater world until. 2003-ish. Um, so my first time seeing Sweeney Todd uh, on stage was when David Jeromo played it at Porchlight. Oh, okay. Um, and having seen, I had seen the video, like I had heard the music by the time I saw it at Porchlight because um, I, I remember uh, Michael, you and I did that show at Ravinia with George. Mm -hmm. And people were like fawning. They were saying, the original Sweeney. And I was like, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I, I was like, I don't know, I don't yeah. know the original Sweeney. But, but more importantly, I didn't know of all the things that George had done. And so I well, saw George, Lynn, George Herm we're talking about. Right, right, yes. right, right. So, I, so I saw Lynn's video on YouTube not George. Mm. And then I saw George and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. this is bananas. But what I loved about seeing the production in real life, uh, and it's been actually kind of awesome because um, I've had three experience with it in, in a very short period of time where I saw David perform it, uh, playing Sweeney, where I could see the sweat on his brow and I could see how Porchlight made that awesome barber chair work like and to see the stage spin it was awesome and then I got to see it uh at the Paramount and to see like all of the things that you can do with this space and like this elevator that was like bringing the body down and then I saw a punk steam version of it in Denver wow um and uh and you know obviously um you know um I know that there was that version that everyone was like playing their own instruments with what Patty was playing with uh, Ben no, Mangles. No, no. yeah. Right, and so, I mean, here, seeing those different versions in such a short period of time, it just, it's so amazing. I mean, the, the music, the interpretations will be different, how you make the chairs work and all that is different, but like the music, the music in itself, having <sighs> just had an opportunity to sing just 
epiphany in Sondheim on Sondheim, like, I was like, this is some of the most amazing music I've ever done, ever. And ever. to sit in the audience and to hear each of your interpretations, to see it, it's like, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, I, listen, I got, to, I got to do it with George when we did it at Ravinia. Um, and having, you know, for me, Len Carrier was my, was my Sweeney Todd. He was always my Sweeney Todd. <laughs> I, I loved George. I, I had worked with him before and, and I was thrilled to get a chance to do it at Ravinia with George as the, as Sweeney and Patty was, was Mrs. Lovett. It was a pretty, it was a great cast, but, but it's, you know, George is George. He's, 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 to me, he's not my Sweeney. I love him to death, but he wasn't my Sweeney, you know? So it was, it was hard sometimes to go, oh, you're not going to do that, are you? Oh, you're not going to do that thing I like. Oh, no, that's right. So I had to get used to that with him. He's just such a sweet guy that it was hard for me to picture him playing Sweeney. Now, he sang it immaculately in many oh, ways. Oh, God, yeah. But, you know, yeah, really. not my Sweeney. So fine. Now, the thing about... I think the first time exposure to the piece is the sort of overwhelming way it completely takes you. It, it, has, it has it all figured out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There is something that is utterly complete about what Sondheim and Hugh Wheeler, of course, you know, collaborating with him achieved here. What is, what is it for you that strikes you when, when we have when you say Sweeney Todd and the three of us and so you know thousands of other people go ah what is it about the show the show that you see that distinguishes it in its way oh my god <laughs> there's so much I mean you know for Jim Jim will probably be able to, to answer this better than I will because he's a director but as well as an actor and singer and dancer and all the rest of the things that he does so well. But, I, you know, for a person, you know, who was just a college student and who then, you know, went on to, to try and make a career as an actor, the show provides this, uh, this matrix for every possible emotion. You know, it, it, it opens the world to the best and the worst of us in every, in every sense. And it tells, you know, it, it, Sondheim gave us these motifs throughout the, throughout the show that repeat and, and sometimes they're backwards and sometimes they're, they tell you exactly how you're supposed to feel, at least how he thought you were supposed to feel throughout the whole thing. So you have this wide open sense of, everything and anything is possible. You get the great despair, you get horrible agony, you get wonderful, great, you know, love that lasts forever. You get all of it in one incredible piece and it's almost through sun. I mean, about 80% of it is sun. Yeah. So, it, you know, the music, as Jim said earlier, it doesn't let you off the hook, it never lets you rest. It's one moment into the next, into the next, into the next, and the next motif that connects you to the first part of the play. It's an awesome experience in every possible way. My favorite musical. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Jim, where did you begin when you approached it as a director? Knowing what you knew and having seen it, how, how as a director do you approach this? Uh, I, I was taken with the, uh, the history of Sweeney, how before Christopher Bond's play, 
he was just a cold-blooded killer, would just kill you to pick your pocket. But with this play of Christopher Bond's, there was a morality to it. It was to settle the score. You know, he lost his wife and his daughter. And he, for the first time in the history, as far as I know, the little I know, of the, uh, the legacy of Sweeney Todd, that uh, he had a conscience and he was suffering. He was in pain like you can't imagine and acting out on this sense of loss and uh, hard things that were happening um, to him and to the people he loved. His life is suddenly invaded because he has a good-looking wife, right? It's the only reason he has a good-looking wife and his life is suddenly wiped out. He is framed for something he didn't do and packed off to Australia for nine, 15 years or whatever. Taken out of the game. When he comes back, he's gonna be different. And indeed he is. He sets about in the first place, paying back what's been done to him. Then, and this is crucial to the musical, the best, the best single thing in the musical, as far as I'm concerned, or maybe we'll come back to that later, he then changes from that tack, and it's a shift, a, at least a gear change of one, two, three gears. He then shifts from paying back the people that did that to him to saying, you are all wiped out as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to get you all. The cautionary tale about revenge, uh, you know, the, the Nietzsche quote uh, popped up in our marketing. Uh, careful when you go after a monster, that you don't become one yourself. That when you look into the abyss, the abyss is looking back at you. Be careful going on to the dark side. And, um, and that's the ultimate tragedy. Everybody dies in Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. There is a very much a Peter and the Wolf motif thing that mm -hmm. like, you can almost give a, a very specific musical motif to each of these characters and like, you know something's coming. And that's what, I, I loved I loved that. Um, I also love the fact that like, this is perhaps one of the most celebrated to me, one of the most celebrated like horror musicals. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, you don't have many of them, but, but to have like this this al this alternative to to phantom right it's like you have this torn person he's got this mask he's dealing with these issues but then you have sweeney and what i loved and what jim said about having that morality having a storyline behind it as opposed to just this person's on a killing spree it it makes you it gives you this sense throughout the piece of empathy Right, like you, you start to. And, oh and, God, and, yes. Right, and and yeah, I hundred percent right. Well, it's so remarkable too that early on, you know, he didn't. Sondheim didn't picture this as being the great epic that uh, that it became in many ways. You know, much of what what we think of as the epic nature, certainly what Jim and I saw early on in in the first production, 
was all was was Hal Prince. And Sondheim was like, oh, this is a story about these six people essentially, and it, it's a, and to him in in many and he does this. He says this a lot. I th- I saw it as a much smaller show. I I remember Not, reading that crazy about that the 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 different takes from from Sondheim and Prince mm-hmm. on the same work, the same yeah. successful work. Yeah, it, in some ways, where Sondheim is literally just sort of didn't understand why it was so important for Hal to bring in the whole industrial revolution and man man and the whole factory thing. But for Hal, I thought it was about revenge, obviously. And I, and, and I, I, I've come to think, why am I so, why is revenge so antipathetical to me? Well, it's possible because it's in somewhere where I really would love it if I indulge it but i don't i don't think i don't think i'm a vengeful person but i may be and uh, and so i didn't get it and uh uh then however i did want to work with steve and i did want to do it and god knows i'm glad i did it but i wished on them something that's never shown up in f- further productions of it i i i wanted to do it about the incursions of the industrial age on society. What happened when we started to put people on the assembly, children on the assembly line? What happened when people worked 16 hours a day in a factory and then just went to their hovels to sleep? And then, and you know, and what happened when you couldn't breathe clean air? which certainly was true in England. When I first went to England, it was foggy all the time. And very strange to breathe all that in all the time. Uh, And it was just the spewing of factories. Uh, So I said, I'd like to do it in a factory with Eugene Lee, who very much fed into that. And and, uh, they, they heard me industrial age, n- never a part of what they wrote. And uh, they said, do we have to write the, uh, to accommodate this? And I said, no, you don't have to do a thing. You've got the material. I'll do the factory. I mean, the interesting journey, as, as we've talked about Sondheim's shows, and, and something we got into in, in the last episode was Origins, where, where how a show began. Mm-hmm. Um, George Firth saying, hey, let's musicalize this old right. Kaufman and Hart play, or James right. Lapine going, you know, let, let's talk about theme and variation or things like this. This was one of the rare pieces that originated that Sondheim had seen something that was inspired right. himself and, and gestated from this Christopher Baum play. And it's interesting, I, I've read the play. I don't know if any, if any of you guys Never have, have no. read it. I read it before uh, I had directed it. And it's very, number one, what's interesting is how much of it is in the music. Word for word. I understand. It's very close. But what I understand, and you can't see from the production that Sondheim saw, was the tone of it was a lot more cheeky, a lot more keeping with with the British panto sensibility of it being a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'm going to murder this guy kind of a thing that kept Sweeney Todd in the Penny Dreadful conceit. And Sondheim picked up, because he's Sondheim, on the humanity that James is talking about. Right. 
Right. No, no, no. That's what's interesting to me is this whole little right. subplot you've put in. I saw a production of Bond's play um, in 1973 in, at Stratford East and uh, just immediately was taken by it. It, was, it wasn't really very scary, but had a lot of charm and it, it was sort, sort of creepy. And um, I looked into the rights and I, well, actually what I did was I met Bond and asked him if I could make a musical out of it and he said yes. But it was seeing that production. And then you bring in Hal, and Hal's like, I don't want to direct a horror musical. I, right. I've got no interest in that. Well, he was into the politics of it, how the Industrial Revolution was cannibalizing society, how these poor workers were going to work with no food, no sleep, uh, being beaten to do their jobs. No. Right, and, and, that the, and, and that the factory, was, the factory was going to turn out one Sweeney after another, after another, after another, after another. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the whole theme of cannibalization fascinates me. Mm -hmm. And well, we're living in it right now. Uh, the cannibalization of, of segments of society. Now, the set, what we did was make a factory so that the whole play takes place in a Victorian foundry if you ask what they make in that foundry, they make a show called Sweeney Todd. And uh, these people all work in the factory and the sunlight never hits any of them. So they may be on the street, the sunlight is always diffused through a filthy glass ceiling so that they never get touched by the sun. The rays of the sun are always diffused with dust and dirt and these people are trapped in this foundry. The play is very simple, despite all that publicity about the size of the set and everything. This is the play. It's a, a nodule. It, uh, it is the pie shop on its side. It's a staircase. It is Lovett's parlor on the other. Nobody has really gone back to that original concept. So it's interesting how the show survives what Hal put on it. And I don't think that anybody these days is going back to Hal's vision of the factory setting and how can we create that. Um, Jimmy, certainly your vision of it was, was incredibly unique compared to other versions that I've seen. And of course, James had mentioned uh, the version that, that Patty did with, uh, Patty Lapone did with everyone playing their instruments that John Doyle directed. So it's, it's so wonderful because it allows so many different approaches and it still always delivers. And he loves that, you know, that uh, his 90th birthday uh, 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 tribute, which I had to watch twice. I couldn't stop yeah. watching it. But how everyone was commenting on how generous he is with the interpretations of his work, how he gives agency and license to, uh, to you doing what, uh, what your impulses are and your response mm -hmm. to it. And uh, that is very generous because we all know how tight some uh, licenses can be. Mm -hmm. uh, and not even from the license, but sometimes from the playwright. From the, from the, yes, from the estate, the author, thing. yeah. Yeah. Which, I, you know, I wonder, it, it was something we discussed uh, when we were talking about West Side Story and the value of Sondheim's youthfulness as part of that group of creators. And in some ways, it, it feels almost like he has, he continues to keep this youthful, uh, this understanding that new, the young, the, the fresh, the another take 
is valuable as opposed to this is what I wrote and this is what it must be. Right. I think it's smart. I have to tell you though, when we did when we did it up at Ravinia, we, we got uh, we got notes from from Mr. Sondheim a couple of different days and and yeah, you know, that's a sort of one of those experiences that you just you just go. I it's hard to imagine, but there he is. He's sitting there with the rest of us. We're all sitting in a circle, and he's giving notes and he's pointing at you, going, "This is what you do, and this is what you do." And he was very, very specific about about the music, particularly when he was talking to uh, even to to George and to Patty. I mean, he gave them notes as if they were, you know, the rest of us sitting around in the in the thing. Now they, and they both sort of shook their head, and he went, "No, no, don't shake your head. Here's what you do: you go la la la." And he he tells you exactly what George. You cannot rip into the epiphany without singing this this line. If you don't sing this line, the motif is not heard in Act Two. So you have to sing the notes. And George is like, "I've been doing it like this for 25 goddamn years." He said, "I know." And you've been doing it wrong. So here's what you do. <laughs> Sing it this way, you know. And, and so he was very specific about what he wanted to hear. This one shine, how he smiles in the light, my friend. Okay, now let's start. Now this is a song that, let's not do, take any rubato. Let's keep it absolutely rigid to start with. Ja, da, da, da. Ja, so it has a trance-like quality. The reason that I wrote this rhythmically so squarely is because he's falling into a state of almost semi of self-hypnosis. So it must have that feeling, as opposed to conversation. The songs we've been working on so far this afternoon are all about conversation. This is exactly the reverse. This is non-conversational. This is a ritual. Right. Let's just start from the vamp. And tell you what, take your time as an actor. I'll start by opening the box again. And I'll, I'll cue Stuart one second. And take your time as an actor and just start singing when you feel ready. Don't worry about there being two, four bars, whatever it is. If you want to go eight bars, go. But work yourself into that trance and then let me hear you sing it absolutely evenly to start with. As the song progresses and it gets more passionate, you can start to move the phrases around mm. a little bit. Mm. Essentially, it should be rigid and ritualized. Okay. I was just listening to it, Michael. Uh, you sent us the, that video. And I got like 10 minutes into it before something came up. And, um, but it struck me how symphonic it is and, and how scored just the transitions are. The transitions are gorgeous pieces of music uh, and all the percussion and dissonance and, um, and then gorgeous melodies. Um, and Jonathan Tunick and you know, his incredible arrangements. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and there's no fat on it. Mm -hmm. That's the thing too. I mean, even, you know, when, when you're looking at sometimes certainly musicals from, from many years ago have a lot of excess that you kind of, oh, how are we going to navigate this? There's not a minute of fat on here or in any of the songs. There's no, no. moment. I know we had to cut uh, the judges, Joanna, be just because of time, just because of length. Um, but that's you, 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 you kept it or you don't? No, we had to cut it for time. Um, we did too. I remember that we, we, we attempted, we approached it by keeping everything, the judge's song and then the, the beggar woman's song at the end, which um, 
they're all in the score inviting you to do them and the judge's song is frequently kept in but you realize when you then string it all together you go it does it's not required it's lovely and it's what a great addition you disagree uh, well i i knowing it and you know preparing it yeah and, I love it. But know, I I missed it. Yeah. I, missed, I missed our production. Not I not miss it too when it's not there. It's it, 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 uh, you know, know, it gives the judge do that so eloquently and so exquisitely. Uh, and that's that is your classic Sondheim to take the darkest theme and do something so sublime with it. Um, mm. It makes, to, to me, it makes the judges show uh, in that, I mean, I played the judge too at, at, at the Fulton and we got to do the number and it, it, it was, uh, it was everything you need to present to those people out there in the dark who this guy is yeah. in a way that the rest of the show really doesn't do. It just gives you a very two dimensional yeah. feel. Uh, uh, he's just a bad guy. Um, Whereas doing the number, and the way we did it was a little bit different. We didn't do any, there was no masturbation and there was no self-flagellation. It was, uh, I mean, he was at a sort of kneeling at a kneeler, you know, praying with, with the Bible and then a, sneaking a look at his, at his ward taking a bath, who in the background had taken off all of her clothes and gotten into a bathtub. And you see him desperately trying not to go in there and do what he did to Lucy. So the whole song becomes more of a, I'm going to try and do the right thing. I'm going to marry her, you know, which is stickier than almost anything you can imagine. But there it is. It gives this guy a third dimension, which I really love. I, I miss it when I don't see that number. Right. What do you think, You have to have the right actor for it. Well, yeah. Exactly. I love that raw stuff. I love that. Ugh. Well, and then you get... Epiphany, which you know, you you it, it's it's not you know to say it's it's like Rose's turn or something, but it's in the certainly the same category where you have an onstage meltdown, and uh, you've got to sum it up. Which James, for you in Sondheim on Sondheim, must have been an unusual challenge because you're building into that number in a way that does not prepare you in the same way of playing the role through the, through an entire performance must have been a challenge. Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, one of the, one of the fun challenges I think was that I couldn't really tag on, you know, anything from before and there won't be anything after it'll just be this song. So sit tight. Thank you. 
I have to say though, I mean, to do that song in that moment was uh, super thrilling. And actually, not until I did it, um, did I ever think I wanted to do it, right? Like, I think I just, I think I just listened yeah. to the music and was always like, this is really amazing. It's beautiful to hear. And it wasn't until doing that that I was like, oh, I actually want to do the role now. Mm. I want to do the role. And um, um, although, strangely enough, I have watched clip and clip and clip of Pretty Women. I watch various interpretations of Pretty Women. I don't know why. I just love that moment between, between Sweeney and the judge and how some might interpret it with more humor, with less. I don't know why. I've, I've probably watched about 10 different versions of Pretty Women. Blowing out In the garden, letter writing, flower picking, weather watching, how they make a man sing. Roof of heaven as you're living. Pretty women, sir, pretty women. Here's to pretty women, all the pretty women. I asked Carrie uh, after the after I saw the show uh, on Broadway, I I waited to talk to uh, Len Carey. I wanted to talk to him, oh. and he was not very nice to me. <laughs> but and and we had words about that thirty years later. But at any rate, <laughs> I I waited. I talked to him. I I waited for him to come down, and it took him a long time to get dressed and cleaned up and stuff. And I don't know, just an hour and a half, let's say. And he came down and he wasn't happy to see people still waiting around. And he, so he saw me and I, I just said, you know, Mr. Carew, I'm just graduating from college. And I just want to know, you know, this is an incredible vocal performance. I, I, what are you doing to, to do it, particularly through the epiphany, through Annabeck One? How do you get through that eight times a week, you know, and maintain the same sort of vocal integrity? And he just looked at me and went, I do it right. And he walked walked away. So he was not very happy with me when I asked him that question. Now, one of the things I remember um, that, that in directing the show, Jimmy, and I'm not sure if you, if you I would assume you contemplated the same thing, but th there isn't a clarity as to the, there isn't a, sp a specificity as to the ensemble. Mm. It's such an interesting opening number that that I remember wrestling with and 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 talking with the company and going, why is Sondheim introducing these characters speaking about themselves in the third person? You don't. I mean, I remember just accepting and and letting that wash over me when when I saw the original. But when you're directing it, you kind of have to make a decision about what is that. You do. I think you do. And and I had. Uh landed on this conceit of that we are in one of the circles of hell. There is a, in Dante's Inferno, there is this circle in hell where everyone eats each other for eternity. You just continue to just cannibalize each other. And that 
uh, the ensemble having eaten human flesh was cursed uh, in this purgatory, this, this circle of hell, to continue to tell the story uh, perpetually. And that they were uh, the damned uh, having uh, cannibalized their, uh, their town. And then they're just like shoving pie in their face, you know. I have seen a couple of shows where uh, the show the hero or heroine is very celebrated. Um, and um, you, you leave the theater not knowing why, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you have these people who you're saying to yourself, they have no redeeming qualities. <laughs> like, like, and you know, I mean, and God bless the actor who made it work. Right. Um, but, but like, but there, there, but there's something <laughs> you know, you actually have a moment where you're thinking to yourself, Mrs. Lovey could be a little more evil than, than Sweeney. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. And you're just like, man, I mean, this guy, was, this guy was wielding the blade. But, like, she, with, with just her words, you know, mm -hmm. she was just, like, making things happen. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, you knew the truth the whole time. Mm -hmm. You knew the truth That's, the whole time. She lied. Mm -hmm. And yet, time they see each other. She could, that, could have stopped it right there. Oh yeah, Lucy's around the corner. She's, uh, you know, she's a crazy person now, but you know, let's see if we can put her together. And she wants him for herself. <laughs> she always had an eye on him. Mm -hmm. uh, and allowing her, introducing her as such a figure of fun mm -hmm. as the, what you per, are perceiving is going to be the comedy relief of the evening. Right. This is the body, you know. Oh Mrs. yeah, Lovett. she's losing her cookies. She's losing yeah. her mind making these rotten pies. Yeah. We meet her, you know. <laughs> and then it slowly gets revealed. Yeah. You know, which, which, which takes me to favorite moments, you know. I mean, obviously Mrs. Lovett's entrance and of course, when, you, when it was Angela Lansbury as your first exposure to it, you're just like, oh my God, that's a star. You know, <laughs> everything that she brings in when she you know, rolls out that door with a bowl in her, in her, in her arms. I, I figured she should be on stage first. Uh, I have a cutting dough. And she's, the first thing she does is stick the knife in the counter. I thought, that's the way to start the number, is with the punctuation of the knife in the counter. <laughs> When she says, sit you down, sit, she takes the stool and slams it on, on the ground for him to sit on and blows dust off the, the pie and then she plucks something off a pie and drops it and then she flicks something else. And then she smashes a cockroach. 
my voice. B is to breathe at the same time as doing a hell of a lot of business and gabbling out these lines. And C is to perform it. There's so many of them, so many indelible moments for me in Sweeney Todd. Um, certainly the, the, the very, the most powerful for me always is the very end moment when he discovers his wife. Brilliant. I mean, and I was a, I was a sucker for it. I fell for it. I was there for it. Um, but uh, th those, there's, there's so many of them throughout the show. Well, what are for you some other moments that just are like, God, th there's this, like David, like you're, as you're saying, when, as George Hearn might not have done something the way you, it's something stuck in your head the way it should be done or some, you know. Yeah, it's interesting too. I, I've had a chance to think about this a little bit since the last time we talked. And, um, and um, th there's a moment in <clears throat> No Place Like London. And you and I, Michael, talked about this when we did it at Porchland, uh, where you have uh, Anthony singing in a major key, There's No Place Like London. And the reverse, of course, happens when Sweeney begins to sing, it's in a minor key. There's no place like London. Mm -hmm. And, and I, we thought about, and I thought about that when we were doing it, that, you know, this introduction of Sweeney as a person, as opposed to in the, in the prologue, as a human being, as they're sailing up the Thames, just getting ready to jump off the ship. And, and, and you know, I, I have this image in my head of, the Thames, you know, you're, you're below street level, you know, you're well below street level. So he's looking up at the streets where at any moment he may, he may be, uh, he may be discovered mm -hmm. and sent back to prison. The horror and terror of this guy in that moment is still visceral to me in terms of what our, uh, the show that we did together and that performance, because that's really, that was the jump for me, that moment when I, when he starts looking up at the city of, uh, of London around him and being surrounded by it. It's, it's a really awful moment. It's a great moment for an actor, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a harsh, you know, introduction to the, to the story. Mm -hmm. Right. And sailing in on a boat doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. it, oh, that was fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Jimmy, how about you? Are there any? Yeah, I, that Lucy reveal is a, is a big stunner. Um, but let me talk to you guys about the very end of the show. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> you know, Lovett gets cooked and, and Sweeney goes back to Lucy's body. And then, uh, oh, what's his name comes Toby. out? Toby. 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 Toby comes out and Sweeney doesn't resist no. his execution. You know, the, the poetic justice of these murderers being murdered, that's part of the narrative. Sure. But how that moment in the theater is so still and so quiet and so jaw-dropping, how he just 
is very still there while he gets his throat slit. I mean, as an actor, that must be an amazing, you know, an amazing moment to experience and that surrender to it, that that it is justified more than poetically. It's to the tune of a nursery rhyme, you know. Yeah. Patty Cake Baker's man is right. He knows exactly what's about to happen, and he's perfectly not only willing, he's he comes in. It's like the shot shot values just don't stop. No, it just goes. You know, Mike, you were talking about how complete it is, and it it is. It is so solid. Some shows just kind of peter out and they just wrap it up real quick, Mm -hmm. send everybody home. Hope you had a good time. Mm. But there's something about the size of these moments to the very end. Attend the tale of Sweetie Fawn. Attend the tale of Sweetie Fawn. He served the dark and a hungry god. of course as with with any production and you know certainly the first one where the funness of the chairs of, uh, of however you devise the uh, chair and you know in, in my research and jimmy i'm sure you, you you noticed this too i mean some of those back from the the early 1900s those old productions that they would do in the so dangerous where they would completely go upside down and and and, you and know, the head dropped the actor dropped. just drops yeah. Through the air, yeah. onto a, a mattress or some kind of padding. Behold. Um, now see the welcome Sweeney Todd gives to gentlemen who return from foreign parts. It's funny. It there are moments you, you're you're surprised by the funny, and you're shocked by just how far it goes. It 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 it's typically a very fast shoot. They're there and they're gone. Yeah. Um. We we. I mean, I I just kept resisting that. We can't do that. I you know I don't want hurt actors, and how how Jeff Kamek, brilliant genius Jeff Kamek came up with this uh, idea of a Victorian elevator, how that cage mm-hmm. uh, became this oven, and their, their descent became this very slow motion, poetic drop down into the oven where they got cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, everybody's up to their own devices. It's, sure. it's a stunt, it's yeah. a stunt and, you can do it figuratively. You can you can suggest it. You you don't have to do it at all. 
uh, right. people understand what's happening. But right. uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's a hell of a... How many, how many different ways have you seen it done? I mean, you know, at least I've seen it done at least six different ways. Right, they, but the chair goes back. <laughs> you know, none of them were particularly safe other than the one that we did at, at Porchlight. Yours was safe as well. Well, oh. actors like actors like to be brave. Oh yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> want to be brave. I can do it. Put me I in, coach. No, <laughs> no, not me, man. So let <clears throat> me ask you: If you, uh, you know, as lovers of this show, as fans of this show, as well as uh, practitioners of it in some part, if somebody were were going to see the show, they said, "I'm going to go see Sweeney." They've never seen it before. How would you describe to them and encourage them? with the experience that you think that they're about to have. You're gonna, ha you're gonna experience this when you go see this show. How would you describe it? Well, I, I think I touched on talking about the, uh, the human suffering, the depiction of human suffering in various ways um, and how we act on that, the different ways you can act on that. Uh, and how it can take on uh, violence, how it turns into a violent uh, movement in your life mm -hmm. where you're just slaughtering people. And it, it makes me reflect on how we define criminals and who among us really hasn't had something in their life that they've had to suffer uh, and how you choose to deal with it. You can be resentful and hateful your life, or you somehow recover from it um, and learn from it and become better from it, or you can let it destroy you and you destroy others with it. Mm -hmm. I, that's... <laughs> Simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the show. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what and, I'm and, and like, and, and you know, and I said to the end, it's witty as hell. It's funny. Yeah, it's so much fun stuff in it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I love I I love Jim. He's just smarter than I am, and I, I just would not go there. I would just say to somebody who asked me that question, first of all, if they asked me, they must trust me. I would say, trust me. This is the best musical I've ever <laughs> seen. Secondly, it's uh, the greatest score I've ever heard. Uh, with some of the the most amazing um, performance uh, um, performances that you're going to say, I'm sure you will, because the roles are so ripe, they're so rich. It's got everything. It's got it's got all the funny you want. It's got all the tragedy. It's got all. It's got violence. It's got sex. It's got murder. It's got you know all sorts of fun stuff. <laughs> it's got everything. Go go see this play. It is beautiful. Oh. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, again, I would just say that it is an epic story of joy and pain. Come for the fun, stay for the Pie. stay for the blood. Blood. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and um, there there will never be another musical uh, a musical experience like it in your life. I don't think so. I think, yeah, very right. Very gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. What a lovely chat! It's a joy to be with you. 
so great to see you guys. It's yeah. it, see that that face. There's that Punham. There's Jimmy, and there's James, and there's Michael. It's just just fun to see the three of you. Three yeah, man. Two, David. James. Have a great rest of your day, guys. Thank, Thank you. Man. Man. Right. Bye, guys. Bye.